Hello and welcome to episode 52 of the VSuit podcast, the virtualization podcast that's inherently suspicious of tech. We're on a bit of a roll with guests at the moment. Christian assures me it's not because he's blackmailing all of them to appear. Thankfully, tonight's guest chose to save the cute kitten and join us. It's Chris Wall. Hi, Chris. Hey, and he actually, he did blackmail me, so <laughs> I just want to clear that up. There were many threats made, but thankfully none of them carried out. Exactly. Well, we're not done recording yet, so. <laughs> there's, always, there's always time. Yeah. So, I mean, this uh, marks a, uh, a momentous one. It's our first double VCDX on the show. I mean, we've had, had plenty of VCDXs to the point where they're almost commonplace. Um, but I believe this is the first time we've had someone who has got um, two VCDXs. Do I win something for that, or is that you winning? <laughs> That's, I'm, not, I'm not entirely sure, but uh, we all win. Threat that Christian's going to carry. On. <laughs> uh, <laughs> but uh, yeah, so you've you've got re- regular, you know, what used vanilla VCDX as it used to be, and the, you've just got the, the networking one. Yeah. Right? Yep. And the I I can't even remember what they call the quote unquote vanilla vanilla one anymore. It was. Just the VCDX, then it was data center, then data center virtualization. I don't even know what it is anymore. So <laughs> I'm, I'm claiming ignorance as to what the current variation is. And then the other one's the NSX-based network virtualization one. Okay, so presumably was that... Um, have they got full uh, you know, VCP, VCAP levels for those as well? Or was it just a case of you had to do a different defense or a different design one? Well, there was a lot of secret sauce, and I wasn't privy to most of it, but the idea was you you had to be, really there was no prerequisite. You didn't have to be a VCDX or a CCIE or anything like that. You had to go through, I'll say about four months of, of boot camp training. You had to go through a full design, all the architectural documents, just like you would for a VCDX with the prereqs being scrubbed. So you didn't have to be a VCP or a VCAP, or now it's the VCIX uh, doing away with the VCAP. Uh, so then you submitted that, and they were nice enough to say if you were already a VCDX, you didn't have to defend, which is the way it is no matter what VCDX is it is today. So if you're a data center, you don't have to defend for desktop or cloud. Uh, but you still have to submit all the documentation and have a material chance of passing and all that kind of jazz. Oh, so you still had to do a, a full design as if you were um, someone going for their first first VCDX. Yeah, yeah, just like you would for even if you had even if you had data center and you wanted to go cloud, for example, you still have to do everything up to the defense, and and the same standard was held for network virtualization. Okay, fair enough. I mean, because I always felt that 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 is that's where the the real work of the VCDX. Okay, the defense, you know, tests how good you are on the day and whether you've got the cash to fly out somewhere to, to go and be grilled for it. But the amount of work that goes into that underlying design package um, is, I think, the the real sort of separated bit, and particularly if that works good enough. Yeah, and it was particularly hard for me. I've never done a fictitious design. You know, I did the, I did the DX back in 2012. It was a real design that I did for a customer, and I thought that was hard. And then I had to do a fictitious design because I hadn't done an NSX design for a customer, and then I realized what hard really was. So it was something kind of newish to me. I'd only been working with it for about eight months, and I had to come up with like this this whole fake scenario. They gave me they gave me kind of some starter packages, like here's some sample problems people might have. But what 
compute they were on and what infrastructure they were on and what networking they were on. That was all up to me. I uh, ended up um, kind of forming this fictitious company with Jason Nash. So we made, like, I think Nash and Wall Consulting Co. Uh, and we tackled it together. But it, it was really, really hard trying to, like, think of problems and then solve them without accidentally breaking or fixing other problems. So I was not, not a big fan of that. Okay, so you had to almost be your own own agitator in certain things, you know, to be to be that sort of something that causes problem within a project, but actually fixing it without. Yeah, or or we'll have like say we said okay, we're gonna we had view in our design, so we said, how about we have a certain construction of this type of config, you know, where it looked kind of looked and felt like this, you know, sa- sample A, and then we say okay, good, we're gonna design around A, and then we realize well we forgot about you know, whatever else it is that we needed, you know, we forgot about some kind of network config or some kind of requirement. And then we have to go to config B of the view pool. And it's like, well, that breaks A and, you know, this whole, this whole thing, you know, so definitely when people say that the VCDX is difficult enough and they advise not doing fictitious, I finally got to experience that firsthand. Uh, And I would definitely second that particular piece of advice. Yeah. It's interesting to also to hear how, how the MSX edition of the VCDX actually came about, because I remember when once you guys were announced, there was a lot of confusion <laughs> on Twitter on just what just happened, how, where did these people come from, whatever, uh, whatever did they do, and how did they get it, and whatever. So I'd say it's it's a good thing to actually get a uh, the real real story about what what was going on there because I, I think there was a lot of speculation without any anyone really knowing what was going on at, in the first place. Yeah, and most of us uh, haven't even seen NSX. Yeah. So. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah, it definitely helps. That, you know, part of the program they actually gave us the code, which was great because I was in the same boat. And in fact, mm. I just showed up for the first boot camp week, and there was people in a room. I didn't I didn't know who was going to be there or. Really, you know, I knew there was something to do with building a quote-unquote VCDX around NSX, but I was kind of in the same boat. I had no real hands-on experience with it, and I really didn't know who else was going to be there. It was just this this process. I, I got like two weeks heads up. It was like, hey, can you be gone for a week every month for the next four months and also dedicate evening and weekend time to this thing? And it was a little bit of a struggle to to make sure that could happen, both from a work perspective and personal perspective. But I'm glad I made the time. Yeah, I mean, it yeah. does seem quite strange to have like a certification in a product that most people will never actually be able to get hold of and install and and, and buy per se. Well, I I hope I hope someday that they do release the code in a more public manner. You know, right now it's it's very difficult to get the software. And I don't even know really why that is, so I, I can't help you with that one. But I, I assume at some point it'll be easier to get. There'll be trials or something like that. Uh, and they have the hands-on labs, but I, I do agree it's it's quite challenging to get the code. I actually have have it in my home lab now. I haven't really dared uh, actually activating it, but it's it's installed. I haven't set up all the components yet because I'm I'm scared of breaking my home network. But. Uh, <laughs> uh, that's one way of learning too, I guess. <laughs> yeah, and it's it's so a was, pretty big was, shift from you know the the wonderful warm hug that vSphere is. You know, you install it; it's it's practically impossible to break it unless you really really try. 
And then you get this networking product that really is way different from anything else they've ever done. It requires a whole different skill set. You know, it's it kind of reminds me of the early days of vCloud Director and even Lab Manager when you'd install that and it would say, "Yeah, how do you want to set up, you know, source and destination natting in your VXLAN config?" And you're like, "Huh? I don't know what that stuff is." So. <laughs> That's kind of what stopped me from deploying it full scale. <laughs> There's a lot of stuff going on there that I, I wasn't quite sure of, so I, I need to read up on a, quite a bit of stuff before I actually activate it. But I, I, I've I got the appliance uh, deployed in my lab at least. So, so I'm also in the process of, of moving offices, and we'll be moving our work lab as well, which might there might be some use cases for it there, which might be interesting as well. So it, it'll be, be fun to play around with once I wrap my hand, head around how this thing actually works. Yeah, I mean, so that's, yeah, it's very, really quite cool. Um, going from one of the hardest products and you know, hardest exams that uh, uh, VMware offer to what I think might actually be one of the easiest, um, not necessarily counting sort of the, um, the VCA exams that they did, but uh, I recently inadvertently sat the um, VCP 5.5 Delta upgrade. Um, but- how how do you how do you sign up for an exam by as a mistake or as a as how how do you end up in that situation? You know. <laughs> well, it's um, for a start. I think you have to have a, a little bit too many rum and cokes the night before, so not necessarily feeling at your sharpest. Um, I got reminds me of a- my. That reminds me of my VMworld DCD exam, though. <laughs> That's a different story. I was going to say Ed's a past master at doing exams when drunk, aren't you? <laughs> Yeah, I had one in Vegas last year. I thought that was the requirement to take the DCD. You had to be either hungover or inebriated. <laughs> uh, that's probably probably where I did it wrong. I stopped drinking too early the, the evening before. Oh, yeah, no, no, you've got to push through till the end. Yeah, uh, I should should have really done the V-Rockstar thing. Yeah, I went until about 5 a.m., and I think I was even... Chris, I was chatting with you at the time. yeah. And then, uh, yeah, I I, uh, I managed to pass it without caring or actually being able to see half the screen. <laughs> so uh... <laughs> the answer is always C. If all else fails, no. Because um, I I got an email from a sort of VMware certification saying that you know you probably if you want to sort of your VCP to not expire, um, you need to do the upgrade. And I couldn't work out whether I needed to do the upgrade or not. And then I sort of I saw it was fairly cheap. So I thought, oh, I'll get it booked in for a couple of weeks' time and give me some time just to quickly read up on some documentation. So I signed up, went onto the um, the Pearson site and I signed in and you know paid, paid my money. And I thought, that's a bit strange. It hasn't asked me to select an exam centre yet. I'm sure it'll probably be on the next screen. So I clicked next. And then the exam started. Um <laughs> It was at this point I realised that it was like it was an online uh, exam. Um, this hit me as quite a quite a shock, and you know, particularly when I sort of saw the clock counting down, I was like, "Man, I've got to go and get a coffee first. Um, so, it had, but gave it a crack anyway, um, and failed it by about ten marks. I thought, okay. So I sort of sat, sat down, and I suppose I ought to read a bit more documentation on this, and had another crack at it uh, later on in the day. But yeah, it came as a bit of a surprise, um, and. <laughs> I was just a bit shocked that you could do it as an unproctored exam, that I would expect it to be in the same environment as all of the other VCP exams. Um, I guess, you know, there is a, there's a level of trust that if you've sat, uh, paid paid for it, you know, you're, you're not going to 
take it sort of half-heartedly, but I don't know if it devalues it ever so slightly. So you had to buy it a second time, Chris? Yeah, yeah. There's no, there's no free retake. Okay. So, uh, I can only cl- I can only claim the uh, the ones that I pass as well. So <laughs> yeah. a little bit nicer. That was a mistake that cost me eighty four pounds, um, which probably one I won't be doing again for a while. I must not take exams when slightly hungover. <laughs> oh, well, as I mentioned, I tried that at, at the Barcelona this year and didn't work out too well. But I I, I had a crack at the DCD there, the five five DCD exam without actually preparing much for it anyway. I just figured I'll, I'll give it a go, and I barely missed it. So I'll, I'll be trying that again sometime later this year, uh, but try to prepare a bit for it beforehand this time. So was uh, it just 65 questions or so for the Delta exam, which yeah. is what they say? Okay. Yeah, so it's it was, like the half size. Yeah, yeah it was very, very much a light exam, um, and it really covered... You know, it covers things that are explicitly different between um, five O, which is the, the version it was when I last sat at VCP. Um, so it made it even easier because you, base, even if you didn't know the exact answer, you look at what what would you think it would be for for five O, and then go to the opposite. Um, <laughs> Just add something to it. <laughs> yeah. I, I can almost imagine a question along the lines of single sign on in five dot O or five dot five. And then it's just open-ended, like, doesn't suck as much. <laughs> that would be the correct answer. Or sucks way less. Or just what, a third answer that's not even an answer. It's just yeah. literally, we're very sorry about that. And that would probably be the right answer. Click here if you agree. 5-1, yeah, yeah. and then a sad face emoticon. You know? <laughs> um, well, I guess it's been a, been a while since you had to do any, any of the VCPs, uh, Chris. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So I said, well, it was it was five five that I, I sat the last one, which was a good few years ago. Yeah, um, but I I have a theory why this Delta exam all of a sudden appeared, though. Uh, given given that the uh, all of a sudden all of us were subjected to expiry dates and stuff. Yeah, uh, uh, they had to put something out there to extend the people who done done the five dot zero one. Yeah, uh, yeah. Uh, since there's no yeah, exactly. Which, so, is, but, which is probably the most ridiculous. I'm pretty vocal about how much I dislike the direction the the fine folks at VMware certification team are going with this. But hmm. really, you have a you, you try to you try to present yourself as having an exam that ultimately feeds into a certification that has no product number tied to it. You know, it's just VCP now, right? It's not VCP four or five or anything. And at the hmm. same time. You tie expirations and the exam itself to the product version of what's been released. It's it's very hypocritical. I would like to see that go away. Also, it's been quite a while since they've had a new VCP that anyone would care to take. Um, I mean, I think six is quite a ways out or a bit out. But um, I mean, yeah, in order to get get revenue, I mean, they got to make something. So I think it's it's partly related to just revenue. Yeah, perhaps. I, I definitely know if even if they released vSphere six, you know, assuming that's the number they go with, they might pull a Windows and go with like vSphere nine or something. Um, <laughs> you're looking at you know a potential uh, expiry dates, you know, where you don't have to take a class of six months after that, so it'd be Q three of next year. So there, there'd be a good there'd be a good wave of folks that are potentially going to take the you know vSphere dot next exam 
just to recertify and to make sure they're good to go. And they don't have to take the class. Because that was really, for me, that was the motivation to always take the VCP 4 and 5 and so on. Was I just didn't want to ever have to take another install, configure, manage, or any of those classes. <laughs> yeah. that, that was, that's really the poker in the, in the rear. You know, like, oh, crap, i got to go take this exam or else I have to pay $5,000 for a class. Although I will give them credit, the you know the three and the four was very much you know how many HBAs can you cram into a a, a computer before ESXi chokes or ESX, all right? I felt like five was not so much about that kind of junk. It was yeah, a lot. It was a bit easier, I think, less memory stuff. Yeah, which is which is a good thing. I I I, I mean. I mean Remembering configuration maximums and stuff like that doesn't make any sense. You can always just look that up in the table for the given version, version you're working with. Uh, you don't go around remembering those that, that stuff. You don't have to. Yeah, uh, I remember in four having to having to like specify exactly very deep configs in a VM, like uh, checking something that you might look at once every great while. Yeah. Yeah, well, ultimately, parameter names and stuff like that. Yeah. yeah. Ultimately, that's why they have a knowledge base, and mm-hmm. that's why they have the published configuration guides. Uh, quite frankly, I feel like elevating the exam to cover more. That's great. You've got virtualization and the hypervisor, and that's all configured. Now let's do something interesting with it. That's that's really the point uh, these days, anyways. Yeah, that's why I I, I really enjoyed doing the DBCAP DCA exam though. Four or five dot five. That that was a lot of fun because that that was actually hands on, given some tasks. Just fix this. We don't care how you fix it. You can use Power CLI. You can use the web client. You can use the C sharp client. You can do whatever you want, as long as the end result is what they asked for in the in, in the exam, and that makes a lot of sense. That that's a really good way of doing it. Uh, yeah. Instead of memorizing a lot of. Configuration options and, and and whatever. Yeah, but the uh, waiting for grading thing kills me on that one. I took twenty minutes for me. So, uh, oh, to get your actual score, reply yeah. on if you passed or not. Yeah. Okay, I was hearing it was wow. Okay. Well, I, I remember uh, when five came out. I got the beta invite, and I I always say no to betas from VMware, but they they knew my weakness because I also love the VCAP DCA, and they said, hey. We'll give you access to the beta of the five, and and of course I, you know the the fish hook promptly grabbed my cheek, and I yanked myself out of the Pearson website, and the only thing available was like the next day on a Saturday, and I still signed up for it. Uh, long story short, I ended up taking. I loved it. It was a great exam. I, I wrote a lot of comments, and I did end up passing. But I think it took over a hundred days to get my score and that's when I said this I'm done I'm never taking another beta again from these folks yeah, <laughs> yeah I had that with the original DCA4 um, that it was like three or four months um, by which point I I think they said they'd already told me that they I'd failed and then they sent me another message saying sorry we we screwed up the marking and you actually passed I was like oh okay <laughs> were there uh, some bills exchanged between <laughs> the initial fail and the miraculous pass. <laughs> uh, there, were, there, there were threats made to, to kittens, I think. It was the only way I could get through. <laughs> I, I think I remember that. and I, I think, actually, there were people getting their actual exam scores from the, the non-beta version of the exam before you got your beta results. That's correct. Pretty, yeah. Which kind of... That doesn't inspire people to 
you could go do the beat <laughs> you could go take the retail exam pass it get your scores back and i was still waiting for my beta scores yeah, that's how exactly. bad it was yeah so i, I actually asked uh, uh, asked around once i was done on twitter of course uh how how long uh their average scoring uh time was now for the uh dca and and i think the reply i got was two in on average it was 210 minutes or something like that Pretty good. So it's pretty, pretty speedy now. Uh, then again, I got my results in, in pretty much exactly twenty minutes. So. so you get you get an email, or you're you're still sitting there in the testing center, or I you get an email. <laughs> okay, you have to sit there for three hours with a little <laughs> clock, a little beach ball spinning. You know, <laughs> <laughs> do not leave your seat. There's a there's a guy behind the screen. You know, he's in the other room, like grading your test. Hold on, man, I gotta get some coffee. <laughs> I actually got my result as a DM on Twitter before I got the email, so <laughs> I, I, I guess it helps me to be a bit connected as well. <laughs> so, Chris, I, I hear you're um, you're doing a bit of a, a VMUG tour coming up. Um, you're working your way around most of, uh, of Europe for it. Yeah, so it's an interesting. It's a little bit of a twisted story. It takes takes a few turns here, but. Yes, I am. Uh, in fact, the, the fine folks in Belgium reached out and say, hey, can you come to our event? And, uh, of course, yes, would love to do that. But, you know, it's, 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 it's a lot of financial burden to get all the way to Belgium and back from the States. So uh, they kind of, kind of did a huddle with the other VMUGs in the area, uh, with the, the UK VMUG and the Nordic VMUG. And I think they're all kind of spreading the cost. So I will be doing a week-long trip. Uh, it's Tuesday in the, in the UK area. Uh, Thursday in Nordic and Friday in Belgium. That's the week of uh, November seventeenth. Uh, mm. So just bam, 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 hitting all these great user groups uh, for a week in Europe. I'm super excited. I can't wait to go. Too bad we kind of uh, screwed up the uh, uh, scheduling for the first Norwegian V mug, which is on the November eighteenth. <laughs> oh, the same as the UK one. Yeah. So, but that's that will be the first one in Norway, so I'm, I'm kind of looking forward to that, though, but um, doing all of those in Europe would be... That sounds like a lot of fun. Yeah, I, I figured it's it's not so bad when it's you know just a full week to have to take off, you know, to be gone from work for, for one full week is, is not the end of the world, and, and I love to travel, um, so... And these sounded like really great opportunities. This is a lot of places... In fact, all of them are places I have not really been before. I've been through... Uh, the UK, but just through Heathrow, so I've never left the airport. And in fact, I think I'm meeting Hans Deliner there, and I've got a rental car, so I'll be driving for the first time on the you know quote unquote left side, you know wrong side of the road. Uh-huh. Uh, we'll see if I survive. Maybe yeah, one so of those things got, where I hit a roundabout and explode. Uh, drive up to to where the uh, the user group is, so you're going about halfway up the country. Uh, it sounds like see. about an hour and a half or so, something. Like yeah, that. thereabouts. Depends on what the traffic's like. Oddly enough, if you'd flown into Birmingham Airport, it's about a mile from Birmingham Airport. Um, yeah, I looked at trying to get to that airport, and uh, it's not it's not pretty. It's it's yeah, really there's hard. no transatlantic <laughs> flights to go there. It, it would it would definitely be bad. Um, yeah. You'd be going via Guatemala or something. <laughs> Essentially, yeah. Like first hit the International Space Station, then come back down. You know, fly to you know Dubai and then connect over to yeah. It's just not worth it. So I figured uh, a road trip would be cool, and uh, I, I googled it, and apparently 
having a valid driver's license here in the States works. So let's do it. You know, we'll take some photos and all that jazz. Yeah, as long as you don't have to do any uh, Richard Branson-style space flights, you'll, you'll be fine. <laughs> no. <laughs> Ooh, too soon, right? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but I was, I was thinking of that joke, and I held back with the too soon. Uh... Did you? All right. <laughs> oh, well. It happens. So we'll be... Um, We'll be doing that drive, and then and I've got all sorts of different things I'm talking about, but kind of the main thread is I've got this one session that I first developed about a year ago in Cincinnati, and I've been working on it ever since then, and it's the idea of stop being a minesweeper. You remember that old game for Windows, you know, yeah. the minesweeper explosion yeah. game? Okay. So essentially, it's it's the way that I feel like a lot of folks are still stuck being minesweepers from an IT perspective, and my thoughts around ways to kind of get out of that that process and kind of expand your horizons a little bit. And we'll talk some NSX, and we'll talk virtual sprawl, and there's some other things going on, but should be a lot of fun. Hope to see a lot of folks that uh, both new and uh, new folks I don't know, and and old friends as well. That's good. I, I do hope um, that you include as if. Um part of your Minesweeper session, uh, some clips from the trailer of uh, What If Minesweeper Was a Movie. <laughs> okay. Challenge It's the most boring movie in the world, I guess. Oh, no, it's, it's, it's a legend. Leg- it's, it's one of those spoof college humor ones um, that, you know, if they made the movie of Minesweeper. Um, you know, what if you, what if you click a number and it says a nine? Then God help us all. Um <laughs> I think a lot of things in IT is basically that, yes. <laughs> you just click and hope, hope, hope you find a one somewhere. In fact, the title slide, I searched very long and hard to find it. Uh, there's a graphic of a, of a gentleman playing Minesweeper, and he's in an unsolvable state. Like, literally, you, you, you just have to guess which one's the mine, because I feel like that really is most of our jobs uh, when, when we're in IT. So there's, there's no right answer. Both ways, you're probably going to get exploded. Unless you're a pre-sales guy, then you don't deal with that stuff. Well, then no, you're putting the bombs guys. out there, right? <laughs> or, or you're having someone else come in to solve the puzzle for you. So either way, it doesn't matter. So, yeah, I no- noticed that uh, Proximal Data is supposed to be being acquired by Samsung. So a bit of a, a change of them trying to push themselves up to perhaps a more enterprise market. Um, I don't know if there, is there room for yet another sort of caching product? And we've already got some... Some pretty good ones. Um, Isn't that just a reply f- from from Samsung of Sandisk buying Fusionale? True. Would say that you just think they are like, oh, you know, someone was playing go- uh, golf with uh, another CEO and goes, "Well, we've just bought a caching company." Said, Shit. Okay, we've got to go buy a caching company. Buy me one now. I don't care who they are. <laughs> <laughs> Could be. You never know. I feel like there's some truth there, though. Yeah, I'd imagine there's some truth there. Just because, you know, you got you got the, the I guess, in our community, probably the more well-known names. You've got, uh, uh, you've got the Infinio folks. You've got Pernix Data folks. And then you've got, you know, kind of more the periphery, SanDisk, uh, buying the, uh, the Fusion folks. They also bought FlashSoft a while ago, mm. uh, SanDisk did. So they're kind of becoming the one ring of flash, uh, so to speak. So it's, it's, a, it's a period of consolidation, for sure. Yeah, who's going to do a POC, though, and pick one of the really oddly named ones you haven't heard of before, you know? Seems like there's enough bigger names 
that you would go with one of the bigger cash or cashing guys, like even Pernix or whatever. Well, historically, a lot of the POCs were driven by the protocol you used. You know, Infineo was NFS, Pernix data was block, Proximal data, I think, was also block, but they didn't do write. They only did read. Mm. And so now they're all kind of, you know, Infineo has introduced the ability to do block. Pernix has introduced the ability to do file. You know, it's kind of like everyone's reaching feature parity with one another, and the really differentiator is the engine behind it all. So I think that'll be ultimately the winners and losers group is based on how good your engine is at figuring out what to cache and how long to cache it and and then you've got the vSphere APIs for IO filtering, or VIO, that uh, will be released with the next version of vSphere. And everyone's going to have to jump on that kind of train, you know, board now, get on the train. It's going to leave the station when 6 hits. And I think SanDisk is helping them, along with EMC, uh, to write those APIs. So it's a very interesting time to be someone who's trying to be inserting themselves between the virtual machine and what it's trying to write or read from. Yeah, hopefully it'll end up better better than the IO turbine stuff from Fusion IO though. But <clears throat> I, I've had my I've had my experiences with that stuff, <laughs> and I and I know Sandisk is pretty much ditching it, so, so um, they're they're coming up with some 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 new software for it. If you Fusion IO cards are great, but the software um, not so much. As you so. mentioned many in you know, many other episodes, I believe. Yeah, but it, it's it still pisses me off. <laughs> <laughs> Like the Phantom Menace, he's still bitter about it. Oh yeah. Ooh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and they've got they've got FlashSoft in their in their portfolio that I'm sure they can yeah. use for the software layer. And it's actually interesting. You look at some other vendors like Nutanix ditched um, IO Turbine or not IO Turbine. They they ditched the card mm. uh, Fusion IO's card because they said there was no real need to have it in there. They put SSDs in instead. Yeah. Uh, so it kind of even questions who needs the six to ten thousand dollar flash card, PCIe flash card. Uh, in That's a lot of instances, true. I don't think you do. No, probably not. And and now that, for instance, what Pernix Data is doing now with in-memory caching as well, you can use that on memory slots instead, memory cards. Yeah, and then add to that the uh, the ultra dim. You know, the the big beast mm-hmm. of a of a card that looks like uh, you know fits in what. Uh, uh, DDR3 or DDR4 memory slots and yeah. need some special BIOS wizardry and then it looks like a disk but it's accessed like RAM. It's mind-blowing what you can do these days. Yeah. And that'll be even quicker than whatever uh, PCIe card or disk you'd use. So it doesn't matter. So it's, it's it, As with everything else, it's, it's, a, it's a constant evolution of, uh, of things. And, and once the flash and SSD stuff has... It's commonplace now anyway, so... There's there is absolutely room to move on as well from that and use direct memory access or or use memory chips instead and then just use the flash as as whatever mechanism you have in your arrays or local storage or whatever. So it's natural evolution there as as everywhere else. Yeah, I guess. and like if you're an EMC customer, EMC already has its host based caching, so it pushes you through that, so it's fully supported and stuff like that. So many hmm. other vendors, storage vendors, actually come out with their own flavor of it. As long as it's agent agentless, I'm I'm okay with it. I know some of the folks out there had some caching solutions, like NetApp had the one where you had to install an agent, and no, <laughs> it only only supported like Windows 2008. Yeah, uh, now because... we're back to the Fusion iOS stuff again. <laughs> <laughs> 
I was just trying to scratch at that wound, Christian, just a little yeah, bit. Yeah, I'm still really surprised of the way that was done. You know, you install a driver in your VMs and you edit the VMX files to add the caching layer there. And if your caching disappears, you're, you can't really run your VMs anymore and you have to hack the VMX files back again. And it's, it was a bloody mess. So I, I, I'm glad stuff is moving on. Whatever vendor is doing it, I'm just glad that we're moving away from doing that awful stuff like that and doing it in a proper way, doing it through the kernel or through a driverless setup where you just do everything. That's fine. That's okay. We can, we can manage and live with that. But having to do hacks and, and, and modify VMs and stuff, that doesn't make it scalable or manageable at all. You know what I'll be happy to see completely die off? V-Flash read cache. <laughs> <laughs> Why? <laughs> I, well, I have a quick little story about that. I actually experienced something very bad with uh, V-Flash read cache. We, had, uh, we were setting up some new, uh, new hosts in the lab, and um, they let one of our, our guys let the uh, license run out. And we, so we added a license to it and thought, okay, we don't need to reload. Everything's fine. And vSphere, uh, the, the flash read cache looked like it was uh, turned off, no problem. And then suddenly, like, um, our entire, first our entire vCenter started, uh, uh, the inventory started filling up like mad. And the, the CPUs were going wild for a long time until it would just crash. And I think it was like 24 hours of somebody working on something until we got in the office and started to look at it. And uh, it turns out we had to do this weird SQL database query and find the machines where it was affected and then physically remove it from, from the database. Yeah. Really strange. It seems like it, um, it never, really, never really worked very well. Do, do they cover that in the, the VCP Delta exam? Is that a, <laughs> I don't think you'll ever a question hear about on there? that. But what yeah, query would you use? Kind of <laughs> <laughs> yeah, please, please in, in SQL, you know, dot, dot SQL file, please write exactly the command you'd use to purge bad VFRC commands. Yeah. <laughs> C. Yeah. The answer is C. Yeah. <laughs> and and it, it actually in the end destroyed the entire vCenter pretty much. Um but okay. It's it's over now. It was like beast mode for vCenter. <laughs> yeah, terrible. Fill the, you think it's the inventory service, so you try to reinstall uh, the inventory service and re-register everything, and you wind up just mashing all the config in the process. When... Yeah, just add some 5.1 SSO in there, and we're good. <laughs> cool. Yeah, glad it was 5.5. <laughs> I think it actually sort of Shows a little bit of the the maturity of the product stack that you know there's net we now sort of laugh about things that have gone tragically wrong with it and have caused us to have like loads of pain in the same way that we sort of you know used to laugh about old versions of NT giving us hassle. Um, yeah, the, yeah. pack six A man. <laughs> make sure you install four first just to make it usable enough. Never install an odd numbered service pack. That's, that's the- <laughs> At least not on a Thursday, you know, <laughs> when the full moon is out. That's not that's not good times. Yeah, for sure, it's definitely quite the robust product. You know, we've it's been around. Uh, you know, v, VI. I started VI, so that was 2005 or six or whatever, and uh, it, it's still it's still chugging. You know, it's still a good product. It just 
the web client. You know, I can't say enough bad things about the web client. That's and stop right there. <laughs> I, I, I guess it could be worse. And I, I mean, Ed has actual experience with with uh, servers catching fire. So yeah. <laughs> com- compared to that, everything. That's true. Cool. Yeah, yeah, remember we talked about that on uh, the Vupass. Yeah. On the Vupass, yeah. But yeah. you got the uh, like the Chinese made Red Bull or something out yeah. of that, which yeah. I still haven't gotten a case of. Yeah, <laughs> I, I basically like, want to go into the jitters for three days solid. <laughs> Heart palpitations <laughs> as well. <laughs> yeah, but raising the service back for that. Speaking about the the uh, the web client and the C sharp client with the with the V flash issue, I had the um, the web client completely would not work at all. The uh, C sharp client was my only hope in saving grace. Sorry, There's, repeat. You can't do anything with read caching that, though. Uh, no, but it's the only way you could get in and actually manage your hosts. Yeah, exactly. Otherwise, so, it wouldn't show you anything. Yeah, that re- resolves back to the issue I had at home as well, where the SSD was removed and I had my vCenter actually accelerated by read cache. <laughs> but you should know better than that. Ah, well, yeah, but it was fun <laughs> fixing Chicken, it well. egg, all that stuff. Yeah, of course. <laughs> Which is why I documented how to fix it. <laughs> it's a little bit of the inception, really, isn't it? Yeah. It's the same reason I use a management cluster even in the home lab. I just never want to host my own stuff on my stuff. You've got to be careful with your stuff. But then again, uh, Chris, you've got a fairly beefy home lab. I mean, compared, compared with, with most people, you've got some fairly, fairly new kit in there, haven't you? Well, I'm no, I'm no uh, Jason Baki. He's got you know like a data center in his basement. Um, you know, he's he's got some pretty cool gear. I've, I've got a bunch of white box, and you know, it's a uh, like super micro gear. You know, I run three servers uh, in my resource cluster, and then just one node in the management cluster for now. I'm buying, I'm buying a two node cluster for management or or something else soon because the one node thing has turned out to be quite a pain because I only run NFS and. There's a long story that's going to come out of that, but basically, when when you only run NFS and the and, and the DNS server is also on the same server that's resolving the name, and you have to go into Etsy hosts and and change the file, it just becomes this pain in the butt. So, uh, but I do have four storage arrays now, though, which feels pretty pretty manly. You know, I'm pretty happy about that. <laughs> so I got four Synology storage arrays now. One's an I/O safe, which is a Fireproof and waterproof Synology, basically. Yeah. Ed should have one of those. Yeah, it's it's sixty nine pounds. It's like holy cow! <laughs> you, just, you don't realize what sixty nine pounds is until you have to go install that into your lab, you know. And it's not, you know, I don't have tons of clearance. I'm trying to cram, you know, something the size of a very large toaster uh, into a very small enclosure. So that was enjoyable. Uh, but everything else is pretty much running Flash in some way, shape, or form. So, you know, it's nice say, to have. If you pick a consumer grade array, Synology, and, and from my perspective, is the best. I wouldn't disagree. It's uh, I've I've been playing with their kit since uh, 2011, so I've been a customer for about three and a half years. So I've paid for all of them. You know, they're not freebies or anything. So I'm voting for them with my wallet. And uh, I've actually had uh, an issue with one of my arrays. I forget which. Uh, I think it was the 414 Slim. And uh, I was like, hey, having a problem with this and. They cross shipped one, no problem. So, you know, things break, no big deal. So, I'm pretty happy. Yeah, with I, ha- I had a couple of IX4s, iOmega IX4s. Um, 
I don't know how far I managed to throw them, but it was a fair, fair uh, distance. <laughs> Those crashed really hard. That's, <laughs> that's how you made them faster, isn't it? Throw it higher. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Norwegian acceleration of some sort. I don't. Know. I think there's. I think there's more to that than. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I heard a lot of people having issues with the uh, the iOmegas, so yeah. that's why I avoided that. And same with yeah. the um, there's another one that's some, somewhat popular. I've forgotten the name, but there's like a couple alternatives people like to go with. But I, I've pretty much stuck to Synology because Jason Nash he always he always liked it. I read his blog, you know, back when he used to blog a lot, and he was always pretty hard on how much he likes Synology. So I've just been going on that route ever since. Certainly not. As cheap as if you just bought like a super micro or, you know, a desktop level piece of hardware off the off the web and then just crammed it full of hard drives. That's definitely cheaper. But it's nice to have a product where it becomes someone else's problem if it breaks. <laughs> yeah, that and and the performance the performance is pretty good. I did a a long time ago on V Ninja. I wrote a blog post where I put it up against QNAP and uh, iOmega, the old one, and some other one. I forget. I think it was Netgear. And it like it was the clear, the clear leader by by afar. Like it could even handle some random random IO, which most of these customer arrays don't handle at all. Yeah, and they've got. Uh, you know, I, I just put all SSDs in mine because uh, I, I want IO. That's my chief concern. I don't need capacity, but uh, and you obviously don't get nearly the IO you'd get out of an SSD through the NAS than you would you know through some enterprise enclosure or. You know, like a lot of folks were like, "Well, the you know SSD is rated for fifty thousand IO or something crazy," and I could get maybe with with a with like eleven plus one set in my in my twelve bay unit, I get like twenty five thousand IO, and they were just saying, "Oh, it's horrible! You're getting you're getting no you know you're losing all that performance out of the the SSDs." It's like, "Oh no no, I did an eleven plus one you know hard drive RAID set. I wouldn't get anywhere near twenty five thousand IO." So with 25k IO, I can pretty much virtualize everything and anything, uh, and I'm good to go. Uh, that's the point. Uh, but even if you don't want to go that route, they have the SSD caching technologies now. You can set aside two, two of your slots in your enclosure to do uh, read cache. So there's some there's some cool stuff there. Uh, and, or you can expand the me- memory and use that as a cache too. Uh, but I haven't tried those options out. I'm running on on on. Local storage in my lab at the moment. I don't have any shared storage at all. So. That works too for until something crashes, of course. But. Is that where your vCenter is running on vFlash read cache? It's all on the <laughs> It was, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, actually, that was running on one of the iX4s back then. So. Fair enough. Which is why I needed to accelerate it, I guess. Yeah, but it's like those little, uh, those little four bays were pretty darn well for, I'd say, like a two or three host config with. Maybe a dozen or so virtual machines, or, or maybe twenty virtual machines. You know, especially now that you can get SSDs that are, we'll say, f- three to five hundred gig, and they're not, you know, a thousand dollars like they used to be. Mm. You, know, you can get some pretty decent capacity. So I found I've run, I run anywhere between thirty and fifty VMs at a time, and that consumes maybe half a terabyte of space. You know, they're not very large capacity type VMs. Uh, so you should be able to easily get that kind of capacity out of your SSDs with a three plus one, you know, RAID five set. Yeah, there's a there's a lot of good op- options now. It wasn't that easy to getting um, getting shared storage for home lab usage uh, a few years ago, but now there's there's a lot of options and a lot of good options as well. So and you you get a lot of both performance and and, and uh, 
uh, capacity out of it. So it's it's easier than it, than it's ever been to to get something up set set up at home. Yeah, I'm just waiting for cheap and quiet 10 gig networking because you can. Mm. You, it's one of those things like you know three attributes pick two. You know you're going to get cheap and yeah. quiet, but it's like uh, crappy. Or it's crappy and cheap, but really, really loud. <laughs> you just can't get all three yet. But doesn't MXX just fix that magically? <laughs> well, there's um like the SG500, I think, from Cisco. And there's a uh, there's an old brocade switch you can get off eBay, I think. That's like the 8000 series. But wow, they're they're so loud. You know, it's like turbo jets by your head. Yeah. And my lab is like four feet from me, so... And forbid one of the one of the power supplies goes bad or something, and it gets even louder. Yeah, yeah, it's like <laughs> when you first turn on a UCS or an HP, you know, and it just sounds like, you know, you're you're behind the prop of a freaking jet. Yeah, <laughs> it is um, just about to take off. Yeah, I I actually was behind one of these C seven thousand chassis from HP once we powered it on. Uh, I was actually laying on the floor on in a data center, and it it it, it was literally. Ten centimeters uh, in front of me. You had clothes on, right? Yeah. Well, <laughs> not as not as much as you would think, but yeah. Uh, <laughs> Wait, what was what was yeah, going on in this server room pouch? What is it you do again, Christian? I don't think I know anymore. No. Nah, um, kind of managed I, services are these? <laughs> yeah. Well, you you had your wife with you, so you know. Uh, but the thing is. <laughs> I, I, I was li- laying behind one of those on the floor on the seven, seven, uh, C7000s when some other guy powered it on. And it blew that much uh, stuff from the floor into my eyes. I couldn't see for an hour after all the fans started up. So I was kind of lying in, f- in a fetal position in a data center, crying my eyes out, trying to get a, a bunch of crap out of there. Because why someone- is the floor so dirty, man? Yeah, what? Again, what what is it you do again? Where is this data center? <laughs> Takes the concept of server hugging a little bit too far. Yeah, um, I, I, I've moved on since then. That's a neat workers' comp claim, like blinded by server fan. <laughs> what about um, so Facebook? Keep on talking about their sort of open compute project uh, that they've extended to the networking side of it, and I'm guessing because they're cheap, they're going to try and do it without any fans anyway. Um, do you think that could be is that, is that the potential future for the next home, home lab 10 gig switch basically Facebook my home lab I, if the price is right sure I'll use I don't care at this point you know if it, my requirements I keep it at 35 decibels or less the home lab must meet that requirement I like low power if they can get me a price point that isn't insane and get me 10 gig you know ethernet you know it's a it's a standard right I don't care whose ethernet it is uh, I'd be glad to to pitch in a few clams for it. Yeah, Problem today is the transceivers are so darn expensive because that's where they make their money. You know, it's like a thousand dollars for an SFP plus. You know, depending mm-hmm. on the vendor, and you know it doesn't cost a thousand dollars to make a little piece of silicon like that with the metal enclosure. Mm-hmm. So getting getting SFPs at a quality price, you know, the transceivers that don't cost, you know, even a hundred dollars feels kind of high. You yeah, know, we I, all know about that if we've had to buy the Cisco ones. Oh, I wasn't going to say names, but right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they have like a little call home feature, and I'm like, oh, got the wrong transceiver. Like when you air disable it, port, <laughs> and like yeah, when you take it, it out it, of the box, it like shines and like an angel light comes down. Very yeah, that, that was, oh, was, 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 was I assume something like that. 
the uh, the HP Virtual Connect stuff does that as well, which is why I was looking at behind of the seven C thousand. I was looking for the angels <laughs> in the music, like oh. And then you were blinded, so you must have, you know. Basically, I was b- blinded by the light. That's how it goes. Well, uh, yeah. Let's end this with the with the uh, song reference. <laughs> so. <laughs> Any podcast that ends with Christian being blinded is a good podcast. <laughs> so, yeah, let's wrap for today. Let, and thank uh, Chris Wall for being on. Thanks a lot for being on this time. Oh, my pleasure. Thank you. And uh, as usual, you can catch us on iTunes, Stitcher, or vsoup.net. And in heaven. <laughs>